Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, and welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know Employee Cycle, we're that people dashboard for all you HR and people leaders out there who hate the manual, tedious, and time-consuming process of HR reporting. That process that requires you to log into a bunch of different HR systems and export messy spreadsheets to try to put your data together. So instead, we've built a people dashboard that has pre-built connectors to all the most popular HR systems we know you're all using. Systems like Bamboo HR, ADP, Namely, Paylocity, Trinet, Greenhouse, 15.5, Lattice, Reflective, you name it. We can automatically pull in all your data into one people dashboard to automate your entire HR reporting and analytics process. Go to EmployeeCycle.com to check us out, get a demo, and learn more. That's enough about me and our company because we have a great guest today. So please help me welcome to the show, Courtney Branton. She's the VP of People and Culture at Square Root. And today we're going to discuss how to hold on to your small company culture after being acquired. Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Woo! Go, Courtney! Wow, I was not expecting that. Thank you so much, Bruce, for having me. I'm excited to chat with you on this topic. Awesome. So, Courtney, let's kick this thing off the best way we know how, and that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? I um, I kicked off my career in 2008, which was a interesting time for starting your journey um, in the workforce. And I actually joined a finance team, and I was looking for someone to nurture me, help me navigate corporate life, and it just didn't exist. And I decided, okay, I'm going to be the person I need. And I ended up leaving and accepting a receptionist job and working my way into the HR department with the goal of developing a career in employee advocacy, which has developed into a career in culture design. And so that's how I got here 12 years later. Awesome. So the reason why we're having this conversation today is because you gave me some news And it would be great if you could share that news with the audience in regards to the acquisition. Yes. Um, So I've been at Square Root um, for over seven years and we're about 15 years old and um, bootstrap startup. And, you know, through last year and just really thinking about what's best for our product and our team, we moved forward with an acquisition and it actually went through yesterday, February 1st and Square Root and our entire team is now part of CDK Global, which is also in the automotive technology space um, with us. Awesome. Huge shout out and congratulations to you and the team at Square Root. That's an awesome accomplishment. Thank you. Yeah, definitely um, a nice career milestone for sure. Awesome. So we're talking about small companies holding on to their culture after being acquired by larger companies. And I think you, if out of, out of most of the situations and most of the acquisitions, this is really a tale of two sides of the spectrum. So 40 employees, 50 employees on one side, 9,000 employees on the other side. I would imagine your companies might be a little different and, and operate totally differently. So I'm curious to know, 
what are some of the ways that you've already seen your culture and how it exists differ from the culture that your company is entering into? Yeah, I think there's a lot of like shared sentiment on both sides and a lot of um, shared values, especially like things like curiosity um, and ownership that both companies want to drive and appreciate about each other. But I think the most interesting thing is when you're working with 40, 50 individuals, the knowledge sharing that happens between that group, the transparency within that group, the ability to know everyone, how people work, their their personal values, their families, their behind the scenes, um, it almost gives you a shorthand in which to work with each other that I find comforting and makes the work just collaborative and smooth. And I think when you're And you also just, you don't need a process for everything. You don't need a rule for everything because of the ways in which you're working with that shorthand and the visibility into everyone. Flip over to 9,000 people, um, having worked in bigger companies before and spending all the time with this company, um, while there is that shared sentiment of wanting the same things, it's different because you're ultimately working with a lot more people. So the guidelines, the processes the way communication flows, they have to be set up and structured in a way because it's not necessarily going to happen as organically as it will with 40 people. Um, so even like little things that might be a side conversation with someone in Slack, I might need to let five plus people know within that conversation because at Square Root, we all wear multiple hats. So you might just talk to one person, whereas at a bigger company, there are different people in all of those different roles that need to be included in the conversation and navigating nuances like that. I think it's going to be a difference and just getting used to new processes that we haven't been used to all in this quest for like positive and thoughtful communication. So we both want the same things. It's just you get to them in a different way. And I think that's one of the big differences. And it's hard to know 9,000 people, whereas you know everyone you work with and their entire family. It's a tall order to think about knowing. It's just like, I just need to know the people in my group and focusing on that. And then maybe that's still 100 more people to meet. Um, That's a big change for our team and something that's I've been kind of mulling on and weighing in my mind with the right way to approach that. So speaking of how big this change will be, as the person who is responsible for people and the workforce thriving, how have you managed this change management process as well as setting expectations for all your existing team members to let them know that this may be a lot. It may feel intimidating and overwhelming that now we're going to have all of these processes in place for areas where we just kind of just let things happen because it was small enough team to make it happen without all this process and allowing them to feel good about that. How are you going about helping your team navigate and transition to this new process oriented place? Great question. Um, I had the luxury of spending a lot of time with the CDK team and different folks in their HR org and their technology org to really understand more uh, about them as individuals as well as the company as a whole. And I really value intentionality and consistency. So when we are planning the communications and the ways in which things would be organized, we set the goal of like, we want all of our touch points of the team to be intentional. We want them to be consistent and we want them to be optimistic while also holding space for the fact that there might be a grieving process. We went through a really tough time as a team last year. And if we weren't already bonded and close-knit, 
we were through that and allowing our team to kind of grieve the what was and get excited about the reimagining of what's to come has been something that we've been making space for since our team learned of the news and letting people, we started a Slack channel that was all about share your raw, honest thoughts here. You don't, they don't have to be happy thoughts to share what you're feeling. And what we found was just that those warring emotions of feeling joy and excitement with also uncertainty and fear and allowing those um, to both exist and that to be okay and accepted. So we planned for that early on, knowing that we needed to make space for multiple emotions within one person. We set up everything to really tie back to how it benefits the team, our clients, our prospects, even like our former team, and tying it to our values where there were shared values between the companies, shared missions, um, and also the opportunity to take something that our team developed and when you have a bootstrapped 40-person company and you're able to take that into a company with more resources financially and um, at scale with people, that's really exciting for folks to think something I built could have a way bigger impact now than it would have um, if we stayed a bootstrap startup. At least it'll have a bigger impact faster. And so we spend a lot of time in the communication of acknowledging it's hard, but also here's things to look forward to. and then. To your point, setting expectations because to be intentional and consistent, we didn't want folks to roll in there thinking everything's the same. So while we are staying like an intact team, we are rolling up into a bigger org and have, you know, new benefits, new training, new people to meet, new people to collaborate with and wanting to be clear of like, where are they going to feel at first? So. They're going to feel it first because they're going to go through onboarding and kind of learning about a new company, just like you would when you are a new hire. They're going to feel it with processes, with realizing that I can't, you know, I have to notify a lot of people with things or I need to follow a specific process or cadence for development and adjusting for those things. So we wanted to be really clear and we spent months sussing all those differences out up front so that we could hopefully have all these answers for our team. But in that same vein, what are all the things that stay the same? Because we're still in Austin. We're still the same. We're still all together. We're still in our offices. All that we're working remote now, but we retained our office space. So thinking about the ways that it's the same too, and kind of this gray area of We don't know how this is going to work, but everyone's open to reimagining it together. And that's especially true for imagining an Austin culture with their Austin team and our Austin team, which together makes 200 people and really giving folks kind of that lay of the land of it's okay to feel here's what's the same. Here's what's different. And here's what we still need to figure out. But the cool thing is we're figuring it out together. And, um, but yeah, I don't want people to go in in a state of feeling like everything's different, but I also don't want them to go in thinking everything's the same. You mentioned that your team will continue to have its own office, whether you return there or not. And so I'm curious, assuming that a lot of people will return back to the office at some point, depending on how everything goes with the pandemic, how are you going about making sure that you don't create this us versus them culture? that you've seen so often in case studies or examples where a larger company buys a much smaller company and 
the much smaller company just feels that, well, we did things this way and this is our culture and we don't want to acclimate to that. And so we feel really insular and siloed and we want to hold on to things as long as possible until you're actually forced to do something differently. How, how do you make sure that it's not this us versus them, but it quickly becomes a we as soon as possible? Absolutely. That is when we were going through, like, what do we keep and what do we not keep? There were some things that I really wanted to keep because I knew our team loved them. But realizing that there was something so similar at the acquiring company that it wouldn't make sense to hold place for two programs. And that just if we kept adding things to the mix that we were keeping that they wouldn't have, it would create us versus them. And the team in Austin is is a shared team. So both teams roll up to the same leader. and we want to start forming those bonds and we want to kind of collaborate and get to know those folks. And so pitching it as something that's exciting to our team of more people to meet, more opportunities for mentorship, more opportunities for growth, more opportunities for help um, on what we're building. And you're right. The offices represent this very physical divide between folks. So one of the things we talked about was we work out of 1920s homes that are on the same street in downtown Austin. And we have plenty of space. So we can have people there that might have usually gone to their office, which is in a more traditional office space. And also we can have folks that go there and make it more about where are you coming from? Who are you working with on this day when we return to the office? So having some fluidity between the spaces. And one thing we encourage our team is like, have some Southern hospitality, like let's welcome people to our offices and we have happy hours. Let's invite everyone that could logistically attend if they wanted to be somewhere in person, which we're not quite there yet. And really asking our folks to be open to that. And I think I'm looking forward to meeting the folks in Austin because I think it's also an opportunity to understand at an individual level, like what do they love about their role, their office, the Austin culture? And what do we love? And like actually building something together. So that's why there is that gray area because we definitely want to leave space for the other folks who will be part of that to weigh in and tell us what they think and what's important to them. Because there's so many people we haven't met who should be party to that group. And I think us versus them is something that's absolutely on my mind. And it's little things like we call ourselves radicals and really critically thinking about, is it okay to still call ourselves radicals? Will that be odd? Like, how do you pay homage to your roots without making someone feel like they're not part of the in crowd because they weren't originally with square root? We want to avoid that in as many opportunities as possible. So the list of things we've considered um, is pretty long. And there's also things where we we have programs that we have where we're like, we actually really love this program. We don't want to get rid of it. Can we offer it to everyone else in Austin? And so there are things like that on the table too. But um, yeah, very top of mind. And I'm looking forward to meeting that team to really hear their perspective and marry that with our team's perspective. Last 60 seconds. If you could give advice to an HR leader about keeping the things that they want to keep versus the things that they're willing to use from the larger company, specifically as an HR leader, what are you going through and what advice would you give to an HR leader who's looking to hold on to the, the way that they did HR, but knowing that now that they have all these additional resources that they need to come to some type of compromise? 
Absolutely. I For me, it's intentionality of like, what are you trying to drive? So for getting the programs, for getting the ways in which it manifests at your company, get down to like, what am I trying to do? What's underpinning this? So if it was individual empowerment, if it was career growth, if it was, you know, building excellence through allowing failures, get as specific as possible to like the root of that. And then really ask yourself, do I need that program to live on with this value? Curiosity is one that's come up for us a lot of how we nurtured curiosity versus how CDK nurtures curiosity. But at the end of the day, we both want to nurture curiosity. So it's less about what are we going to, what is the actual program and who keeps what program, but rather we want the same thing. Now let's just be super intentional about how we're going to nurture it. And if you pick and choose from both sides or create something new, I think either is okay as long as it comes back to that heart of why did you do it in the first place. Courtney, thank you so much for discussing such an interesting topic and for helping all of our audience better understand how to navigate this process. So thanks for being such an awesome podcast guest. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our chat. Awesome. So where can people find you and Square Root or I guess now your new parent company online? So they can find me on LinkedIn and Medium. I write and post under my name, Courtney Branson. And I would love to connect and hear from folks, especially if you've been um, through this situation before. Awesome. And we'll definitely include that in our show notes. So if you all enjoyed this interview as much as Courtney and I did making it, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Also, if you listened to this interview, you loved it, which I'm sure you did, and now you're hungry for more episodes, then please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast players. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.